There weren't many unexplored parts of the globe left by the early 1900s. The continents had been discovered and settled. However, the Antarctic continent had only been discovered less than 100 years earlier by Russian explorers, and the continent boasted the last of the unexplored lands on the planet. Two teams set out to be the first to reach the South Pole in 1911, both using different forms of transport and ultimately with vastly different fortunes. This week on Cheeky Tales, we discuss the race to the South Pole between the Norwegian team of Roll Amundsen and the British team of Robert Falcon Scott. Well, hello again, Adam. G'day. How are you? Yeah, doing all right. Boy, how you doing? Hey, boy, I'm good. Yeah, boy. I thought this was uh, Cheeky Boys. Uh, yeah. It's not. Um, yeah, I got the name right, which you would hope, yeah. being yeah. that it's our podcast. Yeah. Co-creator. <laughs> how are you feeling this week, boy? Because it's been a big week since we last recorded. Well, uh, okay, how are we doing this? Are we Okay, we're obviously recording this before the 14th. Or the 15th. We are recording before. Okay, so what we're entering now is NFL chat. Yes. Um, so all of my colleagues have heard plenty of this already. Um, but yeah, we're recording this the week before the Super Bowl yep. and the week after the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl. Uh, who day? Who are day? <laughs> who is the Bengals? Oh man, so happy. Uh, Bengals are my team. Yeah. Uh, How long have they been rubbish? Oh, 33 years. <laughs> The la- their last playoff win was 33 years ago. I think it was 1988. So, yeah. the first time they've won a game in the playoffs and then they went on to win their AFC championship and they're in the Super Bowl. And it is- Incredible. It is big deal within mm. our friendship group. Haven't they, haven't they been in the Super Bowl twice? Been in the Super have. Bowl twice, 1980 and 1988. Both times lost to the 49ers. And there's no 49ers this time. No, I was, I was kind of sweating that last, last <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah. So- that's fun. So, yeah, this is out the day after. So, so we're probably v- viciously hungover. Yeah. <laughs> or very happy or, or very sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's either happy hungover or sad hungover. <laughs> I did suggest before that we have two recordings. Yeah. Of Just insert. Yeah, insert. Yeah. Yay or no. <laughs> John, how are you feeling today? Yeah. I'm really good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. Oh, I'm, I'm really so sad. sad. <laughs> We just do two entire recordings, one where yeah. you're happy and one where yeah. you're sad. Yeah, the whole way through. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, anyway. I'm sure uh, next recording we'll have a bit of a Super Bowl breakdown. I'm sure we'll have at least 30 minutes of Super Bowl chat. <laughs> and, I mean, either way, we're going to have lots of little references to John throughout the next one, I'm sure. So, be prepared for that. It'll be fun. Yeah. Maybe I'm we'll do an episode on the history of the Bengals. Because it is your episode yeah. next. <laughs> Possible. Can, I don't know if can, there's anything interesting in... I haven't looked that up. Maybe maybe that's something to look up, actually. It's a good idea. Yeah, let's not. Did you know that yeah. the Bills lost, I think it was four Super Bowls in a row? Like consecutively? Or, yeah. Wow. It's like 1990 to 1993. They oh. made every single Super Bowl and lost all of them. <laughs> that's rough. That's rough. And I thought it was fan. bad being a Bucks fan. <laughs> not oh, last year, try, try to be a Jags fan. <laughs> <laughs> Never made a Super Bowl. No, not, oh, yeah. <laughs> One of four teams, Adam. So we, we got race to the South Pole this week, boy. Is that what you, is that, is that pretty much Race what? to the South Pole. Mm. Yeah. Interesting one. It's a, it's a thick boy episode. Oh, okay. This is 10 pages. So everyone buckle up for a long one, probably. 
Adam, well, you're trying, you're trying your to record's smash. record's not going to yeah. last for long. <laughs> I was going to say, you <laughs> saw the record and you went, I can't have a guest. Uh, I mean... Yeah. Uh, a Technic- guest cannot have a record. <laughs> technically, the record doesn't stand because we've had an episode that's two episodes. I mean, True. that's technically the record. Yeah. We've had to literally split it over at a mm. midweek, mid-cycle yeah, that episode. That was Titanic, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That was a good episode. I thought it was. Yeah. Didn't perform too well. Thanks, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and listen to the two-parter, the, t- the sinking yeah. of the Titanic. Spoiler, it sinks. Hits an iceberg. It sure does. It is a really good story, though. So I do recommend Unbelievable it. story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Mush Boy, let's hear about the race. See, I was going to say, let's plough ahead. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. No ploughing happened in the story. I mean, I'm probably sure some of it probably did. You know what? Good job, Adam. I'll give Thank you that you. one. Thank you. Oh, mm. I appreciate that. All right. Well, I'm going to- No comment on Mush. I gave you a nice nod. I'm not- <laughs> A little the wink. People listening can't hear the nod. <laughs> They'll know. Just a, little, a little wink, a glisten in the eye. Yeah, just That'll hold the microphone up to your neck so you can just hear it going as you nod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to get stuck in. Otherwise, we'll be here for two and a half hours. Yes. Um, so, let's go. Mush. Let's plough ahead. As I said in the introduction, Antarctica was the last of the world's continents to be discovered and was only discovered as late as 1820 by a Russian expedition led by Fabian Gottlieb von Bellingshausen and Mikhail Lazarev. Those names are not important to the story, but I wanted to show off that I could say Russian names. Is that actually how you pronounce it or do you just take a wild stab in the dark? Uh, Probably the only one I'm not sure about is uh, von Bellingshausen. It, that it sounds very German, not I Russian. I was going to say, it sounds very German. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so this came hundreds of years, this came after hundreds of years of assumption that there must be a land south of South Africa and South America, and many ships had made the, had made the trek south only to be stopped by ice. Apparently, it's very hard to get further south than the, like, Southern Ocean. I don't know really? why, but, yeah, apparently. But isn't Antarctica just ice anyway? So. Yes. So no, it's not icebergs. just ice. Well, yeah, there's yeah. land. No, there is land. I guess. Did that. you know that there's there's valleys on Antarctica that don't have any snow? No. Yeah. I thought it was all covered in snow. No. Oh. Hmm. Once discovered, it took until 1895 for someone to make the first undisputed landing on the Antarctic mainland with a whaling voyage led by Henrik Bull. Uh, sorry, when a, a whaling voyage led by Henrik Bull made for the shore. There was an unconfirmed landing in 1821 by an American sealer. That is highly contended. Are you, are you? So you said undoubtedly. So yeah. And so what? Eighteen ninety-five. Someone definitely went on the mainland of Antarctica for the first time. Okay. So what then happened? So what was the contention? What? Why? Why are they so, not allowing the American? Is it because because he's, he's just like I stepped on Antarctica and everyone's like, how? No, you didn't. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> There's like a whole bunch of them like that, where people are just like, no, you didn't. And yeah. they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I swear the fish was this big. No, it wasn't. <laughs> There's a funny thing about that landing. So, the, the 1895 one, there was a party that went on like a rowboat from their main vessel and like rowed out to Antarctica. And nobody's quite sure who in that party landed like on dry land first because as they were rowing out, they're like, oh, let's all do it together. And when they got there, one of them just like jumped out and ran on shore. <laughs> Oh. But they're not sure who stood on dry land first. Because this one guy's like, and made a run for it. Yeah. <laughs> he Leroy Jenkins. Yeah. yeah. Can you Leroy imagine Jenkins. the rest of them 
are like, yeah, we'll do, yeah, we'll do it together. And then one guy just jumps out, runs on. He's like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I, the frustration. Oh, yeah. the anger. You're just like, yeah, I've got your back, mate. And then he's just. No, you don't. Ah, stuff he is. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't get shot. Yeah. <laughs> just, just left there. Oh, sorry. That really angers me. I find it really funny. Just oh, like, I find it really funny. Gotcha. No, it's. Imagine being the people in I the know. boat. <laughs> the other guys. You'd, like, just, like, you'd just be like, no, he didn't. Like, oh, just yeah. runs out there after making a deal with everyone and just, it's like Survivor, you know? Yeah, pretty the, much. The game, yeah. 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 It's like, When's yeah. Survivor Antarctica happening? I don't think it will. Huh. Ever. And you'll it find should. out why. Oh. Mm. <laughs> it wouldn't be until the beginning of the 1900s that Antarctic exploration entered the heroic era, which I imagine was named by someone who was part of it. Uh, you know, heroic era, uh, an exploration of the interior would begin. Without much technology to rely on and with limited resources available, the exploration during this time was dangerous and quite often resulted in explorers being stuck in during the harsh conditions of the Antarctic winter. There was a lot of scientific discovery during this time and much of the Antarctic coastline and interior was explored. When you say stuck in, you mean like frozen in? Yeah, pretty Ships much. Ships iced in and stuff like that? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about a couple of important expeditions that took place in this, like, first five or ten years in Antarctica. Mm. Um, the but first one- when, when was this, did you say it was? It was 18... So, 1895 was, was the first time someone took foot. Yeah, and when was this heroic era? It was, like, 1900 to 1920. Okay. I, I recently just listened to a uh, podcast about the terror, the HMS yep. terror, and they were on the pretty much the other end of the planet mm. doing the Arctic exploration, mm. and they were- Boats getting frozen in and there was stuff like they got sent off and with like four years worth of supplies because they yeah. were like, you're going to get stuck. And then well, it was only like, it was like two and a half, three years. I think it mean five years before they actually went out and went looking for them because they're like, oh, we're not expecting to hear from them. So mm. I wonder if this is the same situation, like off years go down south, we scheduled to hear from you in a couple of years time. We'll go look pretty much. then. Yeah. yeah. So it's actually- like, I cover a bit more of it later on, but this um, Roll um, Roll Amundsen, the Norwegian bloke, he was a Nor- he was a um, Arctic explorer, mm. and apparently the way that you get to the North Pole, or at least did in these days, was that you got in a boat and you intentionally got trapped in ice that would then float towards the North Pole. Oh, what? Wow. Yeah, so the idea you, was- you, you intentionally get stuck in order for you to- Yeah, so that's why it takes like four or anyway. five years. So they get into the ice and then it just like floats them towards the North Pole. And then when they get like kind of close, they like jump off the boat, run over to the North Pole, run back and get back in the boat and then float their way out of the ice again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, that's why, that's why it took so long for them to do the North Pole was because they kept getting stuck in the ice and it would go somewhere way away from the North Pole. And they're like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> back to the North Pole. <laughs> I love it. They're just like, let's hope this time it works. Yeah. Just- I just, how, how do you promote this? Like, how do you go, men, we are going to the North Pole. And everyone's like, yes. We're going to sit in ice for four years. Okay. Oh, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't, they didn't know how long it was going to be. They're like, oh, yeah. we could be frozen for one winter. There were ships yeah. that were stuck for over two winters. So, they were stuck mm. for like a year and a half. Oh, I, oh it's just, I, and these, who, who says yes to this? These two expeditions that we're talking about here, the, the British one and the Norwegian one, they landed in like late in late nineteen ten and didn't leave until nineteen twelve or nineteen thirteen. 
So they're there That's for a like long time. Yeah, they're there for like two and a half, three years. I mean, in the cold snow, what is the average temperature in Antarctica? It is between. Where's my weather bit? Uh, summer temperatures are between negative one degree Celsius or thirty degrees Fahrenheit. And negative ten degrees Celsius or negative ten degrees Fahrenheit. That's not a, that's not a huge. That's in summer. In yeah. winter, it gets I just down made to, the, the difference. So yeah, like, yeah. So it's a ten degree difference. Yeah, but, all below zero. Yes. Um, but in winter, it can get down to negative thirty four to negative forty degrees Celsius. <sighs> and that's like. And you got to remember, summer is six months of sun. Winter is six months of darkness. Yeah. The sun yeah. spirals. Uh, up to the centre for yeah. halfway through summer and then spirals down towards winter. Mm. It doesn't rise and set every day. It spirals to- yeah. the, It goes from in peak. front of you to behind you to in front of you to I, behind you. I just you. don't know how that works when we live on a- you know, when the planet's flat. <laughs> mm. don't, even, <laughs> don't even start. I, I know a little bit about it because I don't know if you are aware. Um, uh, it would have been about seven years ago I applied to for a I job in, talking about that. In, 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 mm. in Antarctica at the Australian Research Base. To Carpenter, they have trades and all that down there. And so it's a minimum 12 months, it's a minimum six months. So, it yeah, would be around six months. I mm. know, yeah, I know someone who went yeah, down so, there. Yeah, because yeah, once you're in there and it's winter, you there's no, yeah, there's no out because there's a story of the doctor who performed his own appendectomy, yeah, while down there because they couldn't get out, so he had to remove his own appendix. Gross, oh, but yeah, goodness. good. Um, gr- it was a great opportunity. So can I, can I ask maybe you maybe like ask because you said was this that was it was uh, sorry do they get stuck in ice hmm. and to go south or no so no. when you go south because there's actually a landmass there you can get to it and it doesn't move right. because the North Pole is on water yeah it's always moving yeah I just oh, okay yeah. so it's not as if they're like you know. Well, boys, we're going to get stuck in ice for the yeah. South Pole. Let's, let's hope it gets to land this time. And then, and then when we get there, we yeah. still have to go on land. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. So, if it, it was actually quite easy to get there comparatively because they just sail there. That's right. There was a whole thing about the first person under the North Pole, wasn't mm. there? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that might be a different story. Continue, boy. It may well be. So, going back to the heroic era of the early 1900s, um, there were a couple of expeditions that I wanted to touch on just briefly. Mm-hmm. The first is the Belgian Antarctic Expedition, on which Roel Amundsen, Amundsen, I'm going to get that wrong the whole day, was a part, um, which ended with that ship uh, getting stuck in pack ice for almost a year, becoming the first expedition to unwittingly spend the complete winter in Antarctica. So it can happen that you get <laughs> yeah, stuck Adam in ice. goes, did they, did, did they get stuck in ice again? No, it didn't happen. No, no. Uh, yeah, Adam they got was stuck asking, in ice for a year. Adam was asking <laughs> if they had to get his notes. Adam was asking if they- <laughs> No. I will not accept your laughter. I'm going to talk over you. Adam was asking if they have to get stuck in ice to, to get, get there. there. Yeah. No, this was just an accidental getting stuck in ice. Yeah, oh, that was accident. But you still, Adam still asked the question. You said no, and then immediately followed up with, "They were stuck in <laughs> ice." Stuck in ice. Yeah. <laughs> so the Belgian Antarctic expedition would also become known as the first of the expeditions of the heroic era. Mm. In 1901 to 1904, the Discovery Expedition began, which included Robert Falcon Scott, our other competitor. Uh, He was the leader of that one. Uh, And this was also his first command of any expedition anywhere. Did they make this an official race? They did, didn't they? There was like a whole flag. I I mean, it became official in the sense that it happened, but it wasn't like organised as a race. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, This wasn't like, you know, those balloon 
hot air balloons in yeah. France. It's like, yeah, everybody. Let's go around the world. Yeah, everyone gets a shot at the South Pole. So the Discovery Expedition uh, would undertake research of the coastline and interior of Antarctica, including a push to go as far south as possible. Uh, they didn't make it off the Ross Ice Shelf. So if you look at the um, like Antarctic shape, there's like this giant ice mm. shelf. There's two of them. One of them's called the Ross. That's the main one for this story. Big old ice shelf on in like a bay in Antarctica fills up like a huge section of the um, the Bay of Antarctica. Um, so they didn't make it off that. Uh, ice shelf, um, which is where they actually had their base, and they faced hardships along the way, such as scurvy, bl- snow blindness, and the requirement to shoot their weakest dogs to feed the others. Sorry, snow blindness? Yeah, yeah. it's called white out. Mm. I've never heard of this before. This is all new to me. So, like, you know when you look at, probably the best example, if you haven't been to the snow, is if you're at the beach and you look at the water for too long and it, like, reflects into your mm. eyes and you can't quite oh, see properly. Oh, okay, yeah, it's yeah, It's that, yeah. but with the entire field of view because it's yes. all snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's 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 the reflection from the sun that yeah. kind of just blinds you. I, I've heard it in a, like, an aeroplane crash mm. investigation where pilot was out there and just that same, just lost all depth perception. That was mm. the Antarctic one. Yes, it was. Mm. And they flew into a mountain over Antarctic. It was oh, a New wow. Zealand. That's what it was. New Zealand yeah. Airways? Uh, yeah. And they flew uh, exploration flights over Antarctica, mm. like to go. Oh. And yeah, yeah, just the snow blindness, lost all depths, couldn't see the mountain. See, in, in my head, when I hear snow blindness, I'm automatically thinking like a blizzard and like, you mm. know, there's like things getting shot into your yeah. eye. And, yeah. and it's not like a black darkness. It's just. Why? It's, it's a white. Yeah, it's a white yeah. out. You can't make out anything. It's just everything's white. Yeah. Wow. Because mm. you got to think, it's very bright down there. <laughs> yeah. And Except for when in that six it, months it when it's dark, of, yeah, it's either it's, very it's bright or very dark. Yeah. No, no in between. between. <laughs> the last of the important expeditions to us was the Nimrod expedition, which <laughs> took what place- you call me? <laughs> you, Nimrod. <laughs> which took place between 1907 and 1909. Which on. Before you go on. Yeah. Is this an absolute fail of an expedition? Is that where the term Nimrod comes from? No. Oh, you, okay. Damn it. <laughs> you, would, yeah. you would think so. Yeah. That was, that was a very logical guess. This is the origin yeah. of the word. I actually think the British named their expeditions after the ship that took them there. Oh, okay. Because the Robert Falcon Scott, the expedition that the race happened on was called the Terra Nova expedition. And the boat that they went there on, sorry, the ship, sorry, ship guys, was called the Terra Nova. So I think that's where they get the names from. So the ship was, must be I wonder if that had boat. anything to do with the Terror. Because, I mean, that's a great name for a boat, a HMS mm. Terror. Well, this was T-E-R-R-A, as in, like, terra firma, not terra as in, ooh, I'm scared. Well, I think the the one I was talking about is T-E-R-R-O-R. Mm. Well, maybe it is. I that's d- not right. I don't know what I just spelled, but you, 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 you get me. Yeah. We understand. We feel you. Yeah. So the Nimrod expedition was attempting to reach the South Pole, and they missed out by just 97 miles. So they got within 97 miles of the pole before they had to turn back. 97? Mm. That's still a heck of a long way. Compared to the whole voy- the, like the whole yeah. thing is about 800 miles from the coast to the- so they got 90% of the way. Yeah. They, they Apollo- got like really close. They Apollo tend it. So- <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Rip. Um, when you- So like latitude. Mm. One thing I never- like, one thing that never clicked to me was that latitude is just degrees from the equator, like like a protractor. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it never clicked to me that that was a thing, but they made it to, like, 88.9 degrees south or something, like, right down the bottom of the earth and didn't get there. 
Um, yeah, and that expedition uh, not only got the closest to the pole that anyone would get before getting there, um, they discovered and mapped the Beardmore Glacier route to the South Pole, which would be used by Robert Falcon Scott in the race to the pole. So that's just a particular glacier, glacier that they can use to get up the mountains on the edge of the Ross Shelf. Mm. So you've got Amundsen's had his experience. Scott's had his. Let's go. Let's get into the preparations. And Adam, I've taken from you and now I have titles. Oh, I'm glad I started something. That is so cool. I'm not doing titles. Oh, John. Lame. He'll yeah. get on board. He, oh, why, why is this? Al- there's always one. Yeah. There's always one who's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to be part of this, you know, conformity. I'm going to be cool. Yeah. I'm a rebel. Yeah. yeah. F the system. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I threw it on the ground. <laughs> Boss. Oh, no, my notes. Because so, you throw your notes on the ground. Boy. Oh, I thought you said nuts. I was yeah. like, what, what's that got to do with anything? <laughs> oh, no, I punched myself. <laughs> I was like, what's, what are nuts, where did the nuts come from? You know how- Peanuts. We're talking about peanuts, right? You know how everything you ever posted on Facebook is super lame when you see it as a memory? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Well, I have that frequently. Every single time I see a memory it's from more you than are two super years lame. Ago. Are you just realizing this now? You know what, boy? Hurtful. Uncool. Um, Truthful. Yeah, I, I was. <laughs> I've been looking through my memories quite often lately because I guess I just hate myself. Do, and you not, do you not look at them? Do you look at your memories? Sometimes there's, there's times where I read and I go, "What? I'm, I was an emo at some point." Yeah, I was so emotional. It's like one of the first things I do every day when I check Facebook. I check my memories to see what I. I was just doing hot takes all the time. Apparently, like I, I was looking the other day and it was just me ripping on Beyonce for a Super Bowl performance. <laughs> uh, I was like, "Why did I do that?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the other day I had one that was just I'd accidentally punch myself in the in the gooblies. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you thought that was an appropriate thing to tell everyone? Yeah, because John just said, "Oh, I thought you said you hit yourself in the nuts." Yeah, but you said it was a memory, right? Yeah, yeah. So that means you posted that. So all everyone- oh, right, I get you now. Yeah, yeah. yeah apparently, um, maybe that was a thing that was funny at the time was that I kept hitting myself in the nuts. I mean, getting hit in the nuts is always. Someone else getting hit in the nuts yeah. is always funny. Yeah. I just- Do you know what I used to keep doing in the office? So, we have tennis balls in the office for some reason. I can't remember. I think it was like, a, oh, if you get a sale, have a tennis ball. Um, it's what a motivation bo- what, thing. What kind of bonus nah, is that? It's, it's like a competition <laughs> thing. So, like, <laughs> if you get a sale, you take a ball off someone it's, else. Hey, boy. Hey, boy. It, what it is. Go fetch. It's, 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 a, it's like a, an immunity doll in survival. If Aaron's going to fire you, you can't, I've got the tennis ball. And Aaron's like, well, I can't fire you. have got the tennis ball. Yes, you stay. Do you have a tennis ball? No. Bye-bye. Oh, bye. So, I, I would frequently walk around. I would frequently walk around with these tennis balls and like spin, like give them backspin as I threw them so they'd bounce back to me. But I'd get it wrong at least once a week and it would bounce straight back into my nuts. And then I'd be on the ground like, ah! Really um, not a way to build confidence from your team to hit yourself in the nuts all the time in front of them. Is this, were you a manager? Yeah. You were a manager? Yeah. So, I'd be like walking over to talk to someone about like a question they had and just- so, yeah, so I could just imagine you doing that and you were like, oh, you were acting so cool in front of your, yeah. your, your, your peers. And you're like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm like the cool manager who plays tennis balls. And then next minute you're on the- On the ground. On the like, ground. Because he's so uncoordinated. Yeah. I'm still cool. <laughs> no, nobody there thinks I'm cool. Yeah. It's not just there. <laughs> oh, I mean- Nobody here enough. thinks you're cool either. Yeah. Oh. 
<laughs> Shut up, holy shit. <laughs> Wear a shirt that covers your whole back. All right, now that I've brought that up again. So, let's get into the preparations of Robert Falcon Scott. So, Robert Falcon Scott, and I'm going to use his full name as often as possible because it's a great middle name, was born on the 6th of June in 1868 in Britain and began a naval career in 1881 at the age of 13. He would spend the next few decades rising through the ranks, eventually making his way onto the discovery expedition I mentioned earlier as the leader. There was far too much detail on his career for me to bother going into, so let's just assume he had many jobs in between starting getting expedition. Despite a distinct lack of experience operating in Arctic or Antarctic waters, the expedition was a success, and his learnings on this journey would lay the foundations for his future attempt at the Pole. He had worked alongside Ernest Shackleton on this expedition. Either of you recognise that name? No. Not, not a clue. Mm. There's an area of Antarctica called Shackleton's Bay or some crap. <laughs> I just love how the, the, yeah, the, content, some crap. Yeah, the content in you. It's like, some yeah, crap. just, some just crap. whatever. He's just, got a, he's just got got a bit of a <laughs> continent named after you. Yeah. <laughs> what have you got named after you? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. The room you go to get fired. That's Aww. the pain room. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great, that's actually a great name. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good name. And it's a pun too. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had a guy at work who I'm not going to give out his name, but um, let's just call him Ben Bobson. <laughs> let's call him let's call him Bob Bobson. And so Bob Bobson was working with us. And when we got our new office, we had two boardrooms, and we were coming up with names for the boardrooms. And someone suggested, "Why don't we just call the boardroom the Bob Bobson Memorial Boardroom?" <laughs> and everyone would be like, "Why is it called that?" He's still here. And we'd be like, yeah, he just wanted to name it in memorial of him. He's not dead. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. We never ended up doing it because it was called not appropriate. <laughs> but HR got involved yeah. and uh, they just went, look, we just can't do that because, you know, I would rules. I still sometimes refer to it as the Bob Bobson Memorial Boardroom. <laughs> and there's not many people around that remember that. So it's less and less funny with every day. But anyway. Oh, your work's getting a hard run tonight. Yeah, I, I guess they are, aren't they? So, he worked a lot alongside Shackleton on the Discovery Mission, uh, sorry, Expedition, um, and Shackleton would be the leader of the Nimrod Expedition that would almost take the crown as the first to make the South Pole. It's possibly for this reason that Scott became so interested in completing another expedition to the South Pole, which ultimately resulted in him being given command of an expedition to be known as the Terra Nova Expedition, which was the first of the two expeditions to enter the unofficial race to the Pole. During planning for this mission... Scott made decisions on the date which were based on his team's observations during their previous expedition, which saw summer temperatures of negative 1 to negative 10 degrees Celsius, with temperatures not plunging to winter levels of negative 34 until April. This meant that they would leave their base in late October or early November and returning before temperatures dropped enough to be dangerous. So, so they're gone for approximately six months. So they have six months before it's too dangerous yeah. to come back. That is some foreboding. When the, oh. you say leave their base, where, where are they situated? Is it south? They are on the edge of the Ross Ice Shelf. So, pretty much- Oh, so the, their base is yeah. at Antarctica. Yeah. So, okay. they, they sail down in like 1910. They set up base. They lay out some depots in early 1911. So, they're like laying out locations where they're going to have food stored and equipment stored along the way. Um, so, they do like more than half the trip laying depots. Um, I was, I'm like- Sorry, I'm just like, yeah, they're just going to lay some food. It's, it's you know, like, you know, you There's, have to send people there and yeah. it's, it's like, oh, yeah, we're oh, just going to put back. like depots all the way down there to the yeah. South Pole. 
It's like, but we're not part of it. We're just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you just lay a depot like ten, like right on the pole, please? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. It's yeah. just a little lodge that we can no, stay in. Just build it. A- There's a guy at the South Pole with a checkered flag. Like, congratulations, <laughs> you're the first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they go down there in 1910. They do all that prep work. So Scott had planned to use mixed transport strategy, which was using dod dod dog. Sled. You want to like say that? Yeah, you want to say that a fourth time? I say, yeah. This, we Dog gotta make, sleds. We gotta make, we gotta make a joke on him so it stays in. That's how you beat the system. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so he was going to use dog sleds, motor sleds, and ponies. While Shackleton, he yeah. bought ponies. Yes, ponies are useless. Well, yeah. <laughs> as it turns out, <laughs> well, yeah. you'll be surprised. Yeah, it was. <laughs> You'll be surprised to know you're exactly right. <laughs> the only thing that pony's going to be useful is torn taunting it. Well, do you know what that means? Torn taunting. Mm, yeah, a little bit. Just cutting it open and yeah. sleeping inside. Let's um, oh yeah, let's the, let's the Star, Star Wars, Wars reference. Yeah, like that's the second one. This yes, yeah, two in a row. Let's um high five. Let's let the story develop. Oh, I've I've guessed something. Yeah. Here. While Shackleton had used motor vehicles ineffectively during the Nimrod expedition, Scott believed his new addition of tracks, like a snowmobile, uh, would improve their effectiveness. Scott also wanted to use ponies in the same way that Shackleton had done. However, this would be the first of many poor decisions, as during the planning, he sent his dog expert to purchase ponies alongside dogs, as his pony expert would not be available until later. As it turns out, dogs and ponies are not the same animal. So the oh, dog whoa, expert. Whoa, 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 hold up. Yeah, I know. I, I know that you think they're big dogs, but they're actually different animals. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> actually, I do have a question. Yeah. You said there was like motorized. And, yes. But this was what, early? This was 1910. 1910. 1910. Yeah. Steam so, powered, Adam. No, there would have been fuel. <laughs> well, the, the question, because that's the question I have. Like mm. the, the motor vehicle, when, when did uh, Ford create um, the It was T4? like 1910, wasn't it? The Model T. Model T, that's what it was. Mm. That would have been like the 1910s. Yeah. Yeah. Let's so just, they're not great motor vehicles. Because I'm, I'm just thinking like, how is that possible? Because mm. the, the technology wasn't there. Well, see, they're motor sleds. So, they're not like a car. Yeah. They're like a sled with a motor. A sled with a motor. Yeah. So, <laughs> picture like- a cart. <laughs> Pretty much. With tracks, too. Yeah, they've had powered boats and all that for a while, so it wouldn't be, yeah. I guess, too far of a stretch to go- Okay, but instead that, of paddling a, water, let's paddle snow. Yeah, that's a big thing, though. And you're trying to form something, like create something that is tiny or, yeah. you know. You don't know how big these sleds are. That's true. I don't. I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> like, you know, like a, you know, this little tiny motorbike that they. Yeah. Not but, like that at all. Yeah. Okay. I think it was like just a regular sled with an engine attached. Hmm. <laughs> So, That's not cool. only did he make a poor choice with sending his pony, I mean, his dog expert to buy ponies, because the guy bought rubbish ponies, he also made some strange decisions about the men that would go with him. Some were not experienced skiers, a skill that would be very necessary in Antarctic <laughs> conditions. While he had a skiing instructor in his group, and later during the winter prior to their push to the pole, lessons were organised for the men to learn how to ski, he chose not to bring the skiing instructor with him on the push to the pole, and the lessons were not mandatory. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. They're not mandatory. No. So he's like, <laughs> probably a good idea. Go ahead. No, don't. I don't care. There's, you know, and there's always going to be that guy's like, you know what? I'll just risk it. Yeah. I'll risk it for I the I can biscuit. walk faster than you can ski. Yeah. 
<laughs> we're on land. That sounds, like, like the, <laughs> that sounds like the Aaron of the group. Oh, come off it. <laughs> so his plan, his plan was to use the motor sledges, sledges, damn, his motor sleds, the ponies and the dogs across the Aross Ice Shelf for 425 miles or 684 kilometres and then manhaul up the Beardmore Glacier and across the Polar Plateau to the Pole for the remaining 480 miles or 772 kilometres. Did, did he, how many men did he have? Uh, they had quite a few. I don't know the total number, but they sort of did it. Like, they had 16 people that left and only five came to the pole. So, they sort of did, like, Yeah, the others Whoa. were, the others were no, just no, they waiting go back. at the depot. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh. No, I was going to say, I'm like, that's a huge drop-off. They were no. hanging out at the depots. Chilling. Yeah. No, yeah, they go back and yeah. just, like, hang out. Um, yeah. 16 to- Yeah. Hmm. And Amundsen did the same thing. Like, he had more people go with him than- made it to the pole, they just all went back and then meet them along the way on the way back. Um, they would then walk their way home. So they were planning on walking back down the glacier, meeting some dog teams and then dogging it back. Dogging the boys. <laughs> this was the route that Shackleton had used during the Nimrod expedition. So they expected that it would be very easy to know where they were going and to you know, do, be able to do the route. They knew what they should expect. During the summer of 1910, the plan had been to lay those depots of supplies along the route. Um, Twelve men, eight ponies, and two dog teams were used. They set out on the 27th of January 1910 in a state of hurry bordering on panic because this is very late in the season to be starting to do this. You would want to be doing this in, like, October or November. Mm. Progress was slow and the ponies were performing poorly as they did not bring suitable shoes for their feet. So, they had snowshoes. They just didn't want to use them. So, these poor ponies have just got feet walking through snow. They don't have specialised shoes for this. They're also a pony. They're not- they don't yeah. have fur or anything. Can you them. imagine them just grabbing them from, like, you know, some type of tropical place and they're just yeah. getting placed in this snow zone? What <laughs> oh, is <man>. this? <laughs> so, the thing with the ponies, right, is they because they're so heavy. They went and stopped so by heavy. Dan Sickles Farm and bought a bunch of ponies. <laughs> <laughs> so, the thing with the ponies, right, is they're really heavy. <laughs> He's marketed them as snow ponies. Yeah. <laughs> just the Antarctic Explorations come past. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Timothy, Dexter, Timothy Dexter. Timothy Dexter's like, pony. Oh, that's, yeah. Sorry, Timothy Dexter. I got, yeah, I got mixed up. Sorry. Why are you just sell ponies down in Antarctica? <laughs> One of the problems with the ponies, aside from their weight making them like sink into the snow. They have a that, small surface area for their foot. Yeah. So, they sink into the snow really poorly. So, then it takes ages to get them to walk anywhere. Um, they also sweat a lot. And that's really bad in Antarctica. So, you have to have, like, clothes on them, which adds to the weight so that they're oh. fur- so that they don't just, like, freeze to death from their own perspiration. So, and then when they're stopped, because they sweat, you then have to build defences around them to stop the wind from freezing them to death. Very useless animals in the Antarctic. During, this pl- uh, during the planning and depot dropping, six of the eight ponies died. And as they began, as they began to run out of time- to lay these depots, they had to leave one of the depots, known as the One Ton Depot, 30 miles or 48 kilometres short of their intended location. So, this thing's 48 kilometres further north than it should be. And this one sits like right in the middle of the ice shelf. So, it's sort of a quarter of the way there, three quarters of the way back. So, maybe this is a bit foreboding. Yes. Is that going to mess up the expedition in the sense of, not knowing the distance. Well, they knew where it was. Okay. But it wasn't where they'd wanted it to be. Right. Yeah. So, they wanted it to be 48 kilometres closer to the South Pole. 
So they know where it is, but it's not where they wanted it to be. Right. As they returned home to base camp, a dog team fell in a crevasse and three of the original ponies died when the ice broke up and they fell to their deaths. Whoa. Yeah. So they've already lost six ponies and a dog team. Wow. After this comedy of errors, the team settled down into their- comedy of errors. (laughs) The death. The death of all these animals. (laughs) After this comedy of errors, the team settled down in their winter quarters to wait until the following spring when the real work would begin. So that's Scott. He's ready to go. They're in their little winter cabin. They're giving each other lectures to keep their minds going. They're oh, preparing their just, stuff. Sorry, sorry. Maybe I've missed something. Are mm. they in the depot? No, they're at their base camp. Oh, so def- they haven't started. Yeah. They haven't started yet. They're yeah. about to start. Yeah, so they've done the depot laying. Yep. Now they're back at base camp and they're just waiting out the winter. Okay. Which yep. apparently is terrifying. Why? It's cold. Blizzards. Dark. Dark. Windy. Everyone gets sick and crazy. vampires come out. Yeah, you know, it's scurvy is a big deal. Have you seen that? That there's that uh, movie. I don't remember what it's called, but like at the long winter, like at night. Yeah, Twilight. Uh, yeah, sorry, Twilight. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, there's like you know when in the six, literary in the six months, no one stays in the six months because there's yeah. like this. You know, everyone knows about the vampires that yeah. come out. And then the whole movie's about these vampires. That you know what, Adam? I've got no idea what you're talking about. Okay. I'm sure someone knows. Why? This is such a theme for us, talking about movies like we've never seen. It sounds like Twilight. I don't think this is Twilight. You said vampires. What we do in the shadows. No, not what. No, that's a brilliant movie, though. Everyone should should watch that. Have you seen that? No. Oh, mate. I don't know why you expect me to have ever seen a movie. Every movie that it. gets referenced on this it, it podcast, is a mockumentary. It's a mockumentary on the All life right. of a vampire. Okay, well, I do love mockumentaries. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I can't even pronounce. I can't pronounce the guy's name. Who? Taika Waititi. Yes. Uh, he's he created he's brilliant in everything. He is. Yes. Yeah. So if you like him, you'll like this movie. He's a brilliant yeah. director too. Mm. All right. Sorry. So Scott's ready. The British team are yep. ready. They're ready go back to, go. to roll a Munson. Preparations of Roll Amundsen. Roll Amundsen was born into a family of ship owners in Norway in, on 16th of July, 1872. Despite his family ties to, marita- to the maritime industry, his mother wanted him to be a doctor. He followed this wish. Right up until she died when he was 21, at which point he immediately quit medical practice and started his <laughs> life on the sea. <laughs> mother, I will be a doc. Oh, oh, she's not breathing? I'm going to that boat over there. See, so <laughs> drops the stethoscope on a lifeless yeah. body. Come out. <laughs> See ya. He he had read Sir John Franklin's narratives about Arctic expeditions and became fascinated with the idea of exploring the Arctic and Antarctic regions. Aside from being the first trip to overwinter in Antarctica, Amundsen learned a valuable lesson on this trip, with the ship's doctor saving the crew from scurvy by hunting and serving fresh meat. Aside from fresh citrus fruit. Fresh meat from animals that make their own vitamin C can prevent and even properly, uh, partly treat scurvy. This would be something that he would use during his expedition. Mm. So, one thing that he did on his expedition that was different to Scott's was that they had tons of seal meat. Because seal with blubber on it, like seal meat with the blubber attached, super high in vitamin C. Mm, Good crackling. Yeah, Yeah, and they would eat it fresh. (laughs) Eat it fresh? Mm. Sushi. Mm. Sushi star. What? Yeah, imagine how gross that would yeah, taste. Yeah, so, so gross. And, like, it's how, freezing, too. Can I just point out the irony mm. in that, right? He he was becoming a doctor. Yes. 
and then gave the middle finger to his mother when she passed away. Um, and then and then it was a, a doctor. doctor. Yeah. Who Doctor Who taught him. Taught him, yeah, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, that's smart. Mm, excellent. Yeah. I wish I could have known that beforehand. Yeah, I wish I had done some training in the medical. Would have field. saved a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amundsen would also learn vital skills from the Natilic Inuit in Canada during his sex. What? <laughs> during his successful attempt to complete the Northwest Passage for the first time, he learnt the the value. The yeah. Inuits come up with the uh, HMS Terror. They actually helped track it down when people tried to find it because the native people in that area were able to say, oh, yeah, we've seen this ship. It went here and all that, the Inuit people. Mm. Interesting. So, yeah, when he was speaking to the Inuit uh, when he was doing the Northwest Passage, he learnt the value of sled dogs for transport as well as the importance of wearing animal skins over wool as animal skins stay dry. After this voyage, Amundsen wanted to return to his first goal, being the first man to reach the North Pole. He began fundraising for the voyage, securing a vessel and funding required to make the attempt. Wait, wait, wait. Yep. He w- went to go to the North Pole. How did he really screw up the fact that he went to the South Pole? He didn't screw up. Okay. He's a <laughs> sneaky, sneaky boy. <laughs> Because the next sentence explains it. Oh. However, in 1909, he heard of two American expeditions claiming to have successfully made the trip to the North Pole. Bitterly disappointed, he realised that after the failure of the Nimrod expedition in the South, the South Pole was still up for grabs. So in secret, with only a couple of his closest companions knowing, he began to change his plans to attempt a run at the South Pole. During the following months, he would go to work preparing equipment and men for the journey. Putting together his team, he would look for men with strong knowledge of winter conditions with skills in skiing. That's a- it's, it's, already, it's already sounding like the, um, sorry, what's his name? What's, Amundsen. 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 Yes. Uh, it really sounds like he's like, you know what? I really need to prepare. I need to, yeah. you know, I, I need to have every, every, you know, ducks in a row, my yeah. eyes dotted, my T's mm-hmm. crossed. And then you got uh, old Falcon. Yeah. He's just- he goes, you know what? Nah, yeah, she'll be right. Gonna- you know, get me ponies. You know, I just <laughs> get me the fattest ponies you can, you you can, can find. find. <laughs> I want them to be fat and sweaty. I like a Muslim. It does yeah. kind of swing back and forth a bit. Like as we get to the, the planning at the end of a Munson's trip and then like the start of it, it kind of swings the other way a little bit. You know? It kind of it kind of reminds me of um, your F one. Um, yeah, you know what? What are the two? Hunt and louder. Yeah, but just the the two difference. Yeah, between those, like one's a party, the other one's just like calculated. And yeah, well, that's yeah. very much like that is how it goes. Yeah. Oh, there you go, everyone. Mm. Podcast finished. All right. See you yeah. next week. Bye. <laughs> so yeah, he would design special ski goggles, um, special skis, and dog harnesses specifically for Antarctica. So he spent a lot of time getting gear that was right. Man, this I like this guy. Now the two of them start interacting. So Scott had actually been aware of Amundsen's plans to attempt the North Pole and had been coordinating with Amundsen to complete the voyages at roughly the same time. Scott had even sent equipment to Amundsen so they could complete complementary observations at the opposite ends of the Earth. As he was secretly changing plans, he avoided Scott's attempts to reach him and continued to lead him on until the expedition was underway. So, Scott was in Norway doing some, like, getting dogs or something, and he's like, 
I'm going to ring Amundsen and like we'll discuss what we're going to do when we're both at the North and South Pole. And he rings Amundsen and Amundsen's like, tell him I'm not here. <laughs> I'm not here. And just like avoids all his calls. And Scott's like, oh, I guess I'm only here for a few days, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I just had the mental image of their each end of the pole, and just like a can with a bit of string on yeah. each end. Yeah. They're both on each end going, hey, can you hear me? <laughs> Are you there? So, as Amundsen hadn't told anyone of the change, he only told the crew on his vessel when they had reached their final port of call before sailing to Antarctica. How? Uh, I just, I'm like, you're yeah. halfway there, and then he's like, oh, by the way, guys, you're probably wondering why we went through the tropics. Well, well no. Me, yeah. He went where he was going to go to the North Pole, and then was like, psych, yeah. and went straight down <laughs> to Antarctica. So, he's like, I think he's in Portugal, and he's like, um, guys, we're actually going to the South Pole. Um, do oh. any of you care? And they're all like, nah, nobody left. Oh, so he actually gave him the option. Yeah. He was like, now that I've changed the entire plan for you, do you want to not be here? And everyone was like, nah, we'll still go. Obviously, there's not much to do in the 1910s. <laughs> no. That's right. Yeah. Cop that. Except, you know, at this point, the, the Titanic would be being built. At this. Yep. Yeah, 1911. Yeah. Mm. So- it was 1912 it sunk. Across the Atlantic. Yeah. Well, it sunk while they were doing this, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Stuck in ice. Ice, man. <laughs> so- Surge of the 1910s. Yeah, I mean, it was everywhere, apparently. So, just before leaving their last port of call, Amundsen sent a telegram to Scott, who was in Australia preparing for his expedition. So, Scott's in Melbourne. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah. Shout out to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so, the telegram simply said, beg to inform you. Fram preceding Antarctica, Amundsen. So, Fram was the vessel that he was on. Despite the somewhat short nature of this telegram, Scott is said to have fully understood that the two were now in a race to the South Pole. So, even though where publicly- was, Where was old Scotty? Where was he? He was in Melbourne. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, he was in Melbourne. Yeah. And I'm sure that put a bit of a fire. Yeah. So, he's yeah. like, oh, I guess we'll find out when we get there. But on the inside, he's like, oh, crap. Yeah. Quickly, get the ponies. <laughs> get the ponies. <laughs> Fatten up those ponies. <laughs> Get the blankets. Just- Get those woolen shirts soaking wet. <laughs> Stare at the snow. <laughs> Gaze at it. Gaze at its beauty. So Amundsen and his men would head to the Ross Ice Shelf as well, albeit on the opposite end. So they're on like, so picture it's like a big U shape. The um, Scott's team would land on the left-hand side of the U and Amundsen's would be on the right. Mm. Um, and they would get there on the 14th of January, 1911. So they start setting up. After constructing their base camp, they began depot laying on the Ross Ice Shelf on the 10th of February. Despite having no experience other than what uh, other than what they could gather from books, Amundsen and his men found the conditions somewhat similar to glacier conditions, and so made good progress. And found that the sled dogs that they would rely on, compared to the ponies um, <laughs> and sled dogs and motor sleds, uh, performed well. So, they returned to their base camp on the 16th. So, they only took about like six days of depot laying on the um, yeah. on the ice. Um, but they did like a lot more depots with less stuff. So, um, yeah. So, it's almost a less is more. Yeah. Their second journey. I like to think these depots are just a hole dug in the ground when they chuck their meat because it's cold. You don't need to. Yeah, well, that's it. They literally just build like almost an igloo shape yeah. and just chuck full like meat in there and then supplies and stuff. I, I just- And it stays there for like most of a year before they come back. I just, I just, 
Sorry, I just can't get over the fact of, you know, you had to send people to these depots. Yeah. And so you're giving food out, you're putting food away, mm. and then you're coming back. Mm. But do, do you see the absurdity of what I'm trying like trying to get at here? Yeah. It's, it does make sense, though, because the idea is you're taking less stuff each time because you're able to eat at each depot. So you don't have to carry as much stuff when you go. Oh yeah, I just, yeah. I just, so it's, it's just, it, I find it funny that they, they're carrying food for someone else. Yeah, and they're, they're just like, oh god, we can't touch this food. Yeah, uh, this is for someone else. This uh, is their food. This is their food. We'll, we'll have the tins. We'll have the tins over. Pretty here. much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was their first depot laying journey. Their second journey wasn't as smooth. So you remember I said that January was quite late for Scott's team to be doing it. They yes. were doing this in February. Whoa. Yeah, so they were doing it even later. So the weather had turned for the worse, with temperatures dropping nine degrees and uh, rough snow now making the surface, mu- surface much harder to, to traverse. So that's a ten, almost 10 degree difference from when they went like a few weeks earlier. Um, during this trip, dismun- disunity in the men began to show, with the Munson's second in command complaining about the equipment they were using. The sledges they were- Sledges. The sleds they were using weren't up to the task being too heavy. During the following winter, the sleds would have to go through weight reduction, hot sled summer, being planed away. And they actually, thanks, boy. And they actually built new sledges from some hickory wood that was laying around. So they used these sleds and they went, these are crap. Let's fix them. And so they spent their winter, rather than giving each other lectures, improving their equipment. Should it have been a cold sled summer winter? That's so, the joke from it. yeah, I guess so. Yeah. One side is going, let's improve our equipment, while the other yeah. side is sleeping in and going, you know, I could do the man, you know, do oh, the- Oh, they're dropping the, ponies and yeah. horses down giant ice cracks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doing, do, you know, no one's doing their, you know, their training and scheme because it's yeah. unimportant. People are sleeping in, probably having a grand old time. You know, the other side's like, you know what, let's let's do a better job. Let's- let's Yeah, let's improve. That's, and the funny thing is, the, ter- the Terra Nova, the ship from the Scots um, expedition, actually came over and met them. They were like, oh, Amundsen's here. And they, like, all interacted and then went back to Scott and were like, hey, he's here. Like, he's over there. So, Scott knew about Amundsen being there. Amundsen knew that he was there. So, at this point, they know they're in a race. They know that it's a race to the pole. And one of them's like, let's give each other lectures. And the other's like, yeah, let's make our stuff lighter. Let's be faster. <laughs> In the end, Amundsen's men had laid a depot nearly four times as frequently as Scott, with navigation markers every 13 kilometres. Um, not only did this mean they would have more frequent supplies than Scott, it also meant they'd be able to see every single marker along the way when they got to one. So they'd see the next one. Um, made- man, I, 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 yeah. I love this man. He's so practical. And that would be important, though. He's going to be the one that loses, though, Adam. It was important because- You know, I don't care. <laughs> their route up the mountains was untested. Nobody had been this way. Mm. So, they had to work out where they were going to go once they got off the ice shelf. Um, during the winter, as I said, they were preparing the sleds. They were also preparing their food. Um, they prepared their bodies by loading up on vitamin C rich foods. So, um, cloudberries, blueberries- Seals. Seal. (laughs) Yeah. And as the winter turned to spring, both teams would ready themselves for the push to the pole. Wasn't yet known, but while both groups would reach the pole, only one would return. Oh, so so one of the one of the the 
either Scotty or or a was it Amundsen? Amundsen. Amundsen. One of them dies, Adam. Oh, what a tragedy! Yeah, Breuer. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really which one? Um, I'm hoping for Scotty. What's your What's your bet? Oh, jeez, <laughs> what's your bet, boy? Dark. Scott dead or Amundsen dead? Amundsen dead. Amundsen dead. Yeah. All right. Got a couple of opposed boys here. I'm going to say Amundsen dies and Scott uses Amundsen. Um, right. Yeah. Amundsen dies and Scott uses Amundsen's depots on the way back to survive. All right. Because he had more. Let's see how it goes. Mm. Just keep in mind, they're on two different tracks. Yeah. So they sort of V'd together, like a big, big V shaped the pole for the two expeditions. The race begins. That's my call and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> with the winter now gone, Amundsen would begin to be tormented by the thought of Scott's team racing ahead on their motor sleds and became obsessed with the idea that they should leave as soon as the sun rose in August. Despite protest from his second in command, Johansson- Wait, wait, wait. In August? Yes. We must six months of sun. So as soon as the sun rose, he's like, let's go. Get out. That's still silly though. Yeah. As it turns out, it is. So, despite protest from his second-in-command, Johansson, who had already had run-ins with him, and with temperatures still as low as negative 27 degrees Celsius, Amundsen decided to begin their trek months ahead of schedule. As you might imagine, the weather wasn't great, and so as soon as they stopped moving, they suffered. The men couldn't sleep well, and the dogs they brought started getting frostbite on their feet. Johansson wrote in his diary that it was foolish, and that the obsession with beating Scott might kill them. After hiding in igloos for a while, the men turned back, and on the 14th, they began to lose some of the dogs to exposure. I realise now, I did not put the date that they left. So, that's the 14th of August. Have that- you got what type of dogs they are? I'm assuming they're like huskies. Yeah. Or malamutes. Yeah, huskies. Just for the, all the dog people out there. On the 16th, the men split up with the order to return to base as soon as possible. So, basically, they were just like, hey, everyone, just get there. Just go as fast as you can. Get back to base, because we will die. They split into three groups, with Amundsen arriving in the first group and Johansson well behind, arriving after midnight. So Amundsen arrives at like 1 or 2 p.m. and Johansson doesn't get there till midnight. When they get back, Amundsen's like, why were you so late? And Johansson's like, F you, mate. Why the hell did you just leave us? What's wrong with you? You just pissed off. And so Amundsen's like, yeah, I don't think I can have you on the next polar journey. So he doesn't even bring him on the next attempt. So his second in command, he's like- out of here. Wait, wait. You said it split into three. How do you like him now, Adam? Oh, well, I didn't say I like <laughs> his character. I just, I like the fact that he's prepared. He's he's a real He's a real scout. So, there was a but- second group that arrived in between those. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, it's not. All I right. think the second group was only an hour behind Amundsen. And then Johansson was like it eight sounds, or nine It sounds like back. Johansson is not very good at his job. Well, he was the one that was like, hey, we really shouldn't be going out now. It's way too he's, cold. He's wise. He's wise. But yeah. I just, you know, I, even even someone who's not an explorer, I can even go, you shouldn't do that, and, you know, as soon as the sun rises because yeah. it still needs to. Yeah, it's still cold as heck. It, yes, exactly. Yeah. But the fact that he was so far behind if the second group was only an hour mm. behind. I think the problem was. They had to manhaul or something like uh, okay. they didn't have the dogs or their dogs were like 
really cold and they couldn't run or something. Mm. Like, there was a reason why he was so slow. Okay. And that's why he was so pissy when Amundsen's like, why are you so slow? He's like, F you, mate. (laughs) Yeah. You carry it next time. He ended up getting put on a boat to, like, do some exploration on a boat somewhere. So, he didn't come back. So, after this nearly disastrous second- uh, After this nearly disastrous attempt to leave, he made a second attempt to leave- um, when spring properly began on the 20th of, August, uh, 20th of October, with Scott 11 days behind on the 1st of November. Considering Amundsen was already 100 kilometres closer to the pole than Scott, this gave him a considerable advantage early on. So Amundsen's base was 100 k's closer, and Scott left 11 days later. So he's got a massive lead to begin with. And then the motor sledges that Scott had intended to send supplies ahead and meet them at 80 degrees south had only made it 80 kilometres before breaking down. So these motor sleds that he was like, these things will be great. They basically get out the front door and explode. Yeah, because it's, it's cold. so cold. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so you uh, were saying before about, but they barely had the technology. Yeah, yes. they, di- they really didn't. No, they didn't. Yeah. So these guys then had to manhaul all these supplies. So the guys that he'd sent on the motor sleds then just had to drag this stuff to the pole. Well, not to the pole, but to where they were going to meet. Um. And basically, 20 days after leaving, they caught up. And so, then they were as slow as these guys manhauling. Wow. Yeah. So, the ponies and the dogs are pulling the guys coming behind and the motor sled guys are dragging stuff by hand. And so, when they catch up, then they're just at the speed of the guys dragging stuff. Just- Oh, my goodness. You can see- It's like chalk and cheese. Yeah. Is- <laughs> And then the ponies are slow as well. So, the ponies are slower than expected. Yeah. So, like, everything's going wrong. Oh my god. Munson, on the other hand, his sledge dogs are going his sled dogs are going great, despite the poor conditions and a near fatal meeting with a crevasse. So they went to go over this crevasse and it just collapsed and the dogs are like, Aah! and they had to like drag the dogs out and save them. Jeez. Yeah. It's Antarctica's wild, dude. By the time they reached the first measuring marker of the unofficial race, so 80 degrees south, Amundsen's team was 26 days ahead, meaning in the first three days of the mission, he'd gained 15 days of lead. Whoa, Yeah, that's quick. Yeah, so that's how slow Scott's going. He's 15 days slower He's, he's over a three month days. ahead. He's a month ahead. <laughs> he's a long way ahead already. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So, as Scott reached the edge of the Ross Ice Shelf, it became clear that he was well behind his own schedule. So, the schedule that he had, which was based on Shackleton's mission to get to the pole, he was already well behind. So, he's like, I'm going to have to catch up. What we're going to do is we're going to use the dog teams for longer than I'd intended. So, we're going to use the dogs for another 140-odd K- uh, sorry, 225 Ks, 140 miles. But what that meant was that the ponies had to be shot because the ponies were going to have to be food for the dogs now. <laughs> <laughs> so, these big, fat, sweaty ponies are completely useless already and now they've got to be shot. So, they shoot the ponies. <laughs> sorry, it's just- <laughs> it's mix. But then, because they shoot the ponies, the stuff that the ponies were carrying had to be manhauled, so they're back to the speed of men again anyway. So, there's literally no point in doing this. They just tired themselves out for no reason, because they slowed themselves back down to man speed. So, Scott's not doing great. He's already 26 days behind, now he's eating pony meat, and they're just dragging everything themselves. This is a guy who just did not plan. No, just very, very poor planning. He's not a scout. He's... Yeah. 
Reaching the edge of the mountain ranges that formed a ring around the Ross Ice Shelf and the beginning of the glaciers that both parties had to climb is the next point of progress that we can easily compare. Amundsen reached this point on November 17th, where Scott reached it on the 4th of November. Sorry, 4th of December. So 17th of November for Amundsen, Scott on the 4th of December. So, so he's closed. He's closed, he's the, closed gap. the gap. Somehow. Closed. Yeah. How, how? how is because the Amundsen- The pony meat, mate. They're running on horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> They've upped their horsepower. The how is because Amundsen's team didn't know where they were going. They were like, oh, we kind of have to work our way out up here. So they they kind of lost some days to get up there. Um, I like my explanation better. Yeah, the horsepower. Yeah. I like it too. Yeah. So Scott gets up there in sort of like three or four days um, and makes it to the plateau. Oh, so he, he makes it up in three or four days once they actually get onto the glacier. So he gets up to the, pl- the polar plateau on the 20th of December and Amundsen, using his unproven path, had to probe the foothills a bit, sort of work out what was going on. They get up to the polar plateau on the 21st of November. So by this point now, Scott's a month behind. So he was- he He'd closed the, the gap, gap and then it blows out again. So I don't know what was going on. Maybe the dates that they have in these articles are a little bit off, but yeah, he's behind by a long way now. Like the only way I can think is, yeah, that they got lost. I think and maybe so- the, the timing of the dog, like the ponies being shot, is the thing that's off. Okay. Yeah. Because the, the only other explanation I can think of is that they got lost, they slowed down, which gave him time to catch up. Mm. And then within a week, because, you know, they figured it out. Yeah. They just shot off again. And yeah. Yeah. So from here, both teams are on the polar plateau. Just Amundsen's a month ahead. So they're on the flat bit heading to the pole. At this point, Scott had actually already lost the race. So by the time he gets to the top of the mountains, Amundsen's there already. He's at the pole. Amundsen's team had a dangerous but successful journey across the pole, uh, across the polar plateau. They crossed all the crevasses and stuff. They got there. 14th of December. 14th of December, he gets to the South Pole. How did Santa find them? Uh... Polar navigation. Yeah, okay. Yeah. GPS. You, you should know this. You did a full- Yeah, I did the Santa episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Santa is real, children. Um, yeah. So, 14th of November, he's got there. Scott has only just got to the top of the mountains at the 20th of December. So, Scott's like, yeah, let's go. Let's get there. Yeah, go. Yeah. And They're Munson, already there. You can see him Munson coming back. He's like, what? what? Uh, wait, what's going on? I left you a present. <laughs> so, yeah, Munson gets there on the 14th, wins the race. They plant their flag. They spend the next couple of days sort of like doing some work to isolate exactly where the pole is. They work it out and they build a tent there called Polheim and they left equipment inside for Scott to find as well as a letter for the King of Norway that they asked him to deliver, which is, in my opinion, a bit of an (laughs) F you. It's like, hey, you lost. Send this letter to the King for us telling us how great we are. We're going to go. Oh out and right! Party. So it wasn't, yeah. wasn't given to them by yeah. the. It wasn't given them by the king to leave there. It was no. no it was wow. Amundsen wrote a letter to the king. It was like, "Oi, Scott, can you hand this off? I'm oh, going to be right. wasted when I get back." <laughs> well, I guess that didn't get delivered then, from what you said earlier. It got delivered. Oh, yeah. Oh, you just ruined it. Did I? Yeah. Scott would arrive at the pole a full 34 days later. Seeing the tent a day before arriving. So, even before he gets there, he can see this tent in the oh, distance. He's what, like, a, what a bad What day. a kick in the guts. Yeah. What a kick in the nuts. 
Scott- ball to the nut. <laughs> <laughs> Scott-, <laughs> Scott wrote in his journal, the poll, yes, but under very different circumstances than those expected. Great God, this is an awful place and terrible enough for us to have laboured to it without the reward of priority. Well, that's something to have gotten here. So he's like, I hate this place. I've done all this frigging work. I don't even win. Ugh, I guess fine. Cool. I'm at the South Pole. That's pretty much yeah. what he writes. I'm, I'm second place. First loser. He would also leave the first note of his concern of their return. Also writing, now for a desperate struggle to get the news through first. I wonder if we can do it. So now his idea is, let's beat him back and tell everyone we did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Typical. Typical. Very British. You know, we got there first. Yeah. Don't believe him. He's a liar. He's from, he's from, Nor- was it Norway? Norway. He's from Norway. They never, they never tell the truth. Norwegian yeah. liars. That's yeah. a thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. This last section is called The Opposite Fortunes of Return. I, I, I like your, your titles. Mm, thank you, Adam. Yeah. Still, and- still a no from you, boy? Me. All right. It will happen. He'll do some titles. Yeah. <laughs> now that the race had been run for both parties, they still had the difficulty of returning to base, which would be just as dangerous as the initial run to the pole, except that the weather would just get worse. So now they're in January for a Scots team and they're in late December for a Munson's team. So you've got, according to Scott's calculations of what the weather should be like, you've got until April to get back. So it's taken them from... October and November to get there in December and January. So it took them three months to get there, basically. So now they've got three months to get back. Amundsen's team would begin their return march home on the 18th of December 1911. And due to their excellent route marking on the way to the pole, they managed to return home completely unharmed with no loss of human life on the 25th of January. They would immediately wind up their expedition, loading on their vessel for their return to Tasmania to inform the world of their victory. So they got back on the 20th of June. 25th. 25th. So a month. Yeah. Took him a month to get back. Yeah. It's always quicker going home. Mm. That's true. Less and less supplies on the way too, because they only have to have what they need to get yeah. back. Yeah. Mm. And when did, when did Scott get to the South Pole? Scott got to the South Pole on the- 14th? No. 34 days after the 14th. So that would be, what, the 18th and then the 28th and then 20 days after the 28th would be, what, so you got the 31st of December, so that's three days, so the 17th of January. So mid-January. So, so then so, and five did, days. And again, when did Amun get? 25th of January. So he was so back at base days. a week after I'll make yeah. it to the South Pole. <laughs> so he's and there then like- he's going, let's get back first. And then <laughs> yeah. and they're already <laughs> most of the way back. <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> he's just I love this like complete lack of understanding of what's happening because he's got yeah. no way of knowing, but he's yeah. like I guess we'll just try and beat him back. Yeah. <laughs> and they're already like cruising home like yeah. yeah. Tasmania boy. Yeah, boy. Going to go to Hobart. <laughs> Fortunes for Scott and his team, however, as I might have alluded to earlier, were very very different. By the time they had made the pole, they'd been manhauling for 340 miles and would need to do the same in return to meet the dogs on the Ross Ice Shelf. So the plan had been that the dogs would come back to where they'd sent the dogs home so that they'd have the dog teams to get back. 
They'd experienced good conditions though, and even had sails on their sleds to assist in pushing them back. Conditions were great for the first three weeks, and they made good progress. However, the concerns were starting to set in. As Scott wrote of Edgar Evans, a member of the Polar team, who was experiencing severe frostbite. Others in the group were also experiencing frostbite, raising concerns. So they've started this return back, they're going pretty well, but they're like, "Mm, this frostbite's starting to be a problem. It's getting pretty cold out here. The team reached the bottom of Beardmore Glacier again on the 7th of February, so their return trip. So reached the top of the Beardmore Glacier on the 7th of February and began their descent. However, were having difficulty finding their depots to pick up supplies. So you remember that Amundsen had them always in sight. Yeah. Um, They didn't. So they're like, "Uh, where are these things? And then the weather starts to deteriorate. So temperatures were dropping. For some reason, during a brief period of good weather and despite their worsening condition, they had a half day's rest and collected 14 kilograms of rocks and fossils, which they would carry with them for the rest of the trip. What? Yeah. So one of the things that he wanted to do, he's like, I don't just want to get to the pole. I want to do tons of science on the way there. So he had a bunch of scientists in his group. And for some reason, even though like they're starting to get severe frostbite and the weather's getting worse and they've already lost the race to the pole and it's way later than they had expected to be. Just he's like, cool it. pick up 14 kilos of rocks, thanks. Just w- just call it quits. Yeah. Like, you're done, boy. Like, just, just go home. <laughs> you're done. You're done. <laughs> well, <laughs> Evan's health. No, I need rocks. <laughs> More rocks. <laughs> Give me that fossil of a tree. <laughs> Evan's health was continuing to deteriorate, with the frostbite on his hands and feet becoming even more severe, and now with head injuries from multiple falls on the ice. Near the bottom of the glacier, he would collapse and become the first of the party to expire. Sorry, I missed who that was, sorry? Evans. So, the one that he wrote about as they were returning Uh, home going, this guy's got really bad frostbite. He collapsed multiple times. He fell over a bunch, bumped his head a bunch, and um, Scott was like, this guy's not himself anymore. And then he collapsed and died. So he's the first to die, and he's like halfway on the trip back. So this is at the glacier that they went up. So he's pretty much halfway dead, first one to die. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, okay. The team were meant to meet a group of dogs at the base of the glacier. However, due to miscommunication and bad weather, the dogs were delayed in leaving base and were unable to make their way to the meeting point. The weather was also significantly colder than expected, with the coldest temperatures in 15 years signalling early winter conditions. Oh, no. So, so now we're looking in, what, this will be around February? This is late February now. Yeah. So- Winter's come two months early. Oh. Oh, poor Scotty. <laughs> Things are getting a little bit chilly out here. <laughs> oh, 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 Scotty. They Wait. were also getting to their depots and finding that about a third or half of the fuel in each depot had evaporated. So- they were using corks in the top of their fuel bottles where oh. Munson had soldered them shut. So, fuel was evaporating. Through, even, even in these conditions, through the heat of the sun, fuel was evaporating out. So, they'd get to the depot and be like, oh, crap, we can't cook our food or melt snow to make water. So, they're having to eat their meals cold and they're having to, like, not go through as much water as they wanted to do. I thought you were going to say, yeah, they got to their, their depots and they found that- was uh, Amundsen. Amundsen. Yes, has got a it's like, poop in I, wrote, <laughs> I wrote another letter for yeah, the king for you. Let's not I wrote this letter for your mum. <laughs> no, better yet, I'll just send it to her. There was also no wind, so they couldn't use those sails that they were so happy about having. So, they had to manhaul everything. So, they got less food, less water, 
freezing cold, there's blizzards, and they've got to pull everything themselves, and the dogs don't sh- don't show up. Oh, Scotty, you should have just called it. Yeah. No, but no, I'm sorry. To be fair, he does have rocks. Yes, he did bring those rocks back, didn't he? Yes, what a hero. yeah, what a hero. Another member of the party, Lawrence Oates, had such severe frostbite in his left foot that it began to slow everyone else down. That he's not able to walk very quick. So now everyone's slow. Right. They were traveling less than eight kilometers a day. Oh, and no. And with the lack of fuel, we're starting to run out of time. By the 10th of March, they were resigned to the fact the dogs were not arriving. And Scott wrote, the dogs which would have been our salvation have evidently failed. Mears, the dog driver, had a bad trip home, I suppose. We very nearly came through, and it's a pity to have missed it. But lately, I have felt that we have overshot our mark. No one is to blame, and I hope no attempt will be made to suggest that we had lacked support. He's- Oh. He's called it. Yeah. At this point, he's like, uh-oh. I don't think we're going to make it, boys. On the but, 16th but, of March- but he's, but he's not throwing him under the bus. No. He's, he's like, he's like not know, his fault. Not his fault. Nobody's yeah. to blame. We're it's just dying. Yeah. <laughs> Protect the rocks, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Where, are those fo- Where are my fossils? <laughs> Give me that fossil of a leaf. That's all I have left. On the 16th of March, Oates, the one that I just mentioned, left the tent to give himself up to the blizzard. His last words being, I am just going outside and maybe sometime. He would be the second to expire. So he's like, I'm causing everyone else to die. I'm just going to go kill myself. So he goes out to the blizzard, kills himself. With the idea being, yeah. everyone else is going to be able to go faster without me. Yeah. I, I, sorry, I'm just picturing, oh, lassie. Yeah. <laughs> Come here. We've got to take you back down to the shed. <laughs> Oates went to the farm. While Oates' sacrifice would increase their speed, it was too late to save the others. The remaining three in the polar team would reach just 18 kilometres from the one-ton depot, which, if you remember was 48 kilometres further north than intended. They reckon if they'd made that depot, they would have survived. They would have been able to stay there and they would have survived through the winter and then been rescued. So, so they they were 18 kilometres short. Yeah. And now they're right in the thick of winter. Yeah. And so that means the, the, the temperatures. Yes. And a blizzard hits. Oh. Yeah. So, actually, I don't think they said they would have been able to survive the winter there, but they would have been able to survive until someone came to get them. So, they're only 18 kilometres from this depot, which is 45 kilometres further you away. You can see that. If, yeah. you, if, you, if you have, like, flags that you can see 13 kilometres away and you have a depot. They would have- they probably couldn't have seen it. I think it's just over the horizon at 18 okay. k's, but, geez, they're close. Like, they're so close to it. And they know it, too. And they're like- so- Scott's last entry in his journal was on the 29th of March, 1912, and it said, Every day we have been ready to start for our depot 11 miles away, but outside the door of the tent it remains a scene of whirling drift. I do not think we can hope for any better things now. We shall stick it out to the end, but we are getting weaker, of course, and the end cannot be far. It seems a pity, but I do not think I can write more. Ah, Scott, last entry. For God's sake, look after our people. They are presumed to have died in their tent later that day. They would not be found until October of 1912. So, after winter, they went yep. out. So, there was a couple of groups that, like, went out to try and find them. But they were going out in, like, March and in early April. And they're like, well, we just can't do this anymore. It's way too, um, like, way too cold, way too dangerous. We have to just hunker down for the winter. 
So they hunkered down for the winter and they were like, oh, geez, it's not looking good. I hope they made that depot. They go out in October, they find them. They're like, ooh. Mm -mm. (laughs) Get those fossils, boys. (laughs) The rocks, they got the rocks. (laughs) Yes, the rocks. Everything's (laughs) worth it. And the letter. So the letter did make it to the king. I see, and this is the, I was wondering how mm. he was gonna get it to the king. Yeah. They found his dead corpse and like take that. Yeah. Fingers <laughs> broke off. Yeah. <laughs> Stuck to the letter. Yeah. 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 It's morbid, sorry. Yeah. Dear King. Haha, I beat this British bloke that gave you the letter. Hope he's alive, <laughs> lol. <laughs> JK, JK, jokes. <laughs> jokes. I'm sure he's fine. Uh, uh. Yeah, so that's it. That was the race to the pole. That's a cool story. Mm. I learnt things. And this is only like 110 years ago. Yeah. Oh. So when they found their dead bodies, the Titanic had sunk. True. Because so the Titanic before, sunk sorry. in April, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, so that means they would have passed away just- just before. Just before, yeah. And they, f- yeah. Wow, what a terrible year. Yeah. They and you know, sitting in that tent going, man, I wish I was on that Titanic. Yeah. yeah. Warm cruise. <laughs> Can't wait to hear how the Titanic's going. Yeah. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was it. And like, they got so close 18 Ks. I mean, you say that's close, it's still pretty far away. I mean, considering how far they'd come. Yeah. You know, it was like a thousand K trip there and they came like 700 k's back and to die that close to a depot that would have saved them yeah it's not could good. have saved them mm. yeah and, and if, they, if it was in the right spot too it originally yeah they would have made that yeah that's the other thing if they'd been able to get there the first time if their mm. ponies weren't so fat they would have been fine <laughs> no it wasn't the ponies fault Bad ponies true those no, damn it's, motor it's sleds a, yeah it was those motor sleds and yeah. I do love that Amundsen is like, oh, man, I really hope we can beat those motor sleds. Meanwhile, the motor sleds have broken down 20, <laughs> yeah. 50 k's out. Yeah. I just, old Scotty, just, he he didn't, he, he had no thought. He just went, you know what? I'm, I'm a British man who knows things. He's just like so close to getting it right. Like ponies instead of dogs. Corks <laughs> instead of soldering. Like just so close to getting it right. And it kills all of his men. You yeah. know, I, I knew I knew I, I liked uh, Amundsen. Amundsen. Mm. Uh, he he's a he's a guy that I I can appreciate. He got yeah. all his he got all his men back, and all was, of them, not a single death, not a single death. Yeah. And they went to Hobart to celebrate while That's they wait the for the wait for the uh, the letter to be sent to the king. Yeah, and uh, what a great guy. Yeah, there was a bunch in Scotty's team that made it back. Obviously, the yeah. ones that were at the yeah. base camp. Yeah. It's just um, the polar team. Yeah. And like the thing, the other thing to remember is that Amundsen's team gets back in 1912, like early 1912. And they're like, hey, we made it to the pole. And everyone's like, what's going on with Scott? And they didn't find out till, the, till 1913 when Terra Nova made it back to Tasmania. Oh, true. Yeah. Because they, mm. they, oh. yeah, they had, went and found him. And then, yeah. Mm. So it's like another whole year before they're like, yeah, it didn't go well for us. Wow. And, and old mate who sacrificed himself. Yeah. Oats. Oats. What a what a gentleman! Yeah, ultimately pointless, but yeah, no, it wasn't pointless. Good thought. Well, imagine. Oh, should have done sorry. a really a coward. I, uh, <laughs> the fact that they were doing what eight k's, eight k's a day for mm. probably let's say three weeks. Mm. If he had, you know, sacrificed himself mm. earlier, 
They might have made it. They might have made it. Yeah. Um, you know, so- There's so many might-ofs in that. Like, if the wind had been going the right way, they would have been able to use the sails. They would have made it. It just doesn't- Like, everything he, he chose, he did not have the luck of Timothy Dexter. No. If yeah. the weather had <laughs> been what they expected, like, they, they actually used his measurements in later years. So, now they've got proper weather mapping down there. His measurements are, like, incredibly accurate. It's just that this was a freak winter that came in early. So, if it had been any other year, he would have been fine. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, that's the story. Thank you very much. That was great. Did you enjoy it, boy? I did enjoy it. It was very interesting and intriguing. Hmm. One of those, like, historic races that I enjoy. Who did what first? Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, Adam, this is the second week of- Adamuary, did we decide? Oh, I don't know what we Feb- decided. Adam. <laughs> February Adam. February Adam. Petition, petition is still out. The uh, Adamuary. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, yeah, well, one was out in January and this one's out in February Adam. No, this one came out in February. February 1st. Oh, mm. you did too. Yes. Mm. And this one's February 14th. Yeah. 15th. Correct. Mm. Well, anyway. I've had fun. Thanks the for joining us, The next one will Adam. be on the uh, 29th. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't exist, boy. Twenty eight days, February. Mm. Yep. I mean, it exists once every four years. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, it's not this year. Anyway, Adam, I'm sure we'll have you back in future. You got other plans for stories I, you want to tell? I have other stories. Uh, some good, some bad. <laughs> some, some. This in week between. it's a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next one. Oh, look, you know, skip it. But guys, uh, just <laughs> can you just fast forward to the end? Give us a listen. It's yeah. all good. Yeah, that's that's it. That, you know, just do that. Every time. Yeah. Don't even listen to us. Don't bother. Just if there's an advertiser, listen to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Better quality. Yeah. All right, boy, you're up next. You got an idea for what you're going to do? Uh, you got a couple. I just haven't decided what exactly. The race to the North Pole. Yeah. <laughs> the race under the North Pole. Ooh. The race to the moon. That's mine. Don't touch it. Um, yeah. <laughs> next episode. Uh, well, I've Welcome got one less story. This week in uh, 1969. F you, boy. Is it 1969? Yeah. Nice. Uh, the Americans and the Russians were involved in a, in a race to the moon. <laughs> Don't you dare. Oh, wait. I can just not do it. I'm the one that's editing and putting it up. No, I just yeah. won't do it. <laughs> All right. Um, yes, as always, it would be really nice if you could share this episode with uh, a friend of yours um, or an enemy. Just someone. <laughs> share it with someone you know. Somebody who likes the cold. Somebody who likes the cold. Someone who doesn't like dying in the cold. Oh, wow. Yeah. Someone who likes seals. Someone who likes oh. winning races. Mm. Who likes ponies. Someone who loves ponies. <laughs> Getting rocks. Yes. People who love rocks. Someone and- who loves a fossil. <laughs> Someone who likes sending letters to the King of Norway. I think we've covered everyone. Yeah. <laughs> In summary, send it to someone. It would be nice if you could, because it'd be nice to get some new listeners and get this out there. Um if you would like to follow us on social media, which I would strongly suggest, we put some supplemental pictures up that'll help you understand a little bit more. Uh, well, is, is this week's pictures just going to be like four white squares? <laughs> this is what snow blindness looks like. <laughs> this is what Antarctica looks like. <laughs> yeah, but follow us on at Cheeky Tales Pod on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you can also find links to any of our uh, podcasting platforms there. Um, yeah, and we will see you next time for John's Tale. Have a great week. Fortnite, whatever. Good night. Go Bengals. Yeah, oh, yes. Go Bengals. <laughs> Joe Burrow for king. Yeah. <laughs>